us in his word. I found some really big encouragement from the text this week as we continue in our study. And I just want to read uh, a passage, a section of the scripture where we're going to be at, kind of the main focus. And then we'll get into what God has for us this morning. So Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 11. And we'll read down to verse 17. He says, For I would have you know, my, know brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He said, I did not immediately go consult with anyone, nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for this time of worship. God, I thank you for this building as hot as it is. Lord, I thank you for the, uh, the, the, the provision that you have given us just to be able to gather together under your word. God, gather together and worship and, and just see each other. And Lord, just be under one heart, one voice this morning. That's your voice, God, just hearing from what you have for us, Lord. Lord, challenge us, convict us, show us what it is you have for us specifically here this morning, God. And let us be just ever so connected to the truths of your word, God. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. So remembering we're in this study called Grace to You, and we call it Grace to You because that's the way Paul starts this letter when he's writing to this church that he had visited recently that were being drawn back into a different type of gospel. And so the theme throughout this scripture is grace. And in the first two chapters of this book, Paul spends the time speaking to the validity not only of his message, but also his apostleship. And that what he is bringing to these people is not something that was taught to him, not something that he was pressured into uh, from any man, or that he's trying to please any man by the way of his message. And he even continues on in verses 11 and 12, and he says, For I would you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. This is not from man. This is not developed through man. It is not for uh, the, the glory of man. But this gospel is for God's glory and man's good because of it. And so he's continuing on in this time. And he says some versions of your Bible may say, I certify that it's not after man or not according to man or not from man. But what, God, what Paul is doing in this text is he's continuing to try, try to bring focus to God. Trying to bring focus to the true gospel of God. Because the gospel of Jesus is unique to anything else. I love how C.S. Lewis said it. He said this. He said, Christianity must be from God. For who else could have thought it up? Who else could have thought up the, the way Christianity is? Because like we've already established, there's no other religion in the world that has a message that is anything like the gospel of Christ. Because no other religion's deity has done what our deity has done. Other religions claim their deity have done certain things, but our God has done a work, and we have historical evidence, and we have truths, and we have this beautiful book that is written and has stood the test of time over thousands and thousands of years, over several writers to be presented to us today, to be just as applicable today as it was over 2,000 years ago. 
And so we, we step into this this morning, and, and you know, the, the title being grace to you, but if I could subtitle this as Paul begins to continue to preach from his life, uh, if I could subtitle this something, it would be this this morning, that we would be preaching from our past. That as believers, that we would be a people preaching from our past. Not afraid of our past, not hiding from our past, but preaching from our past. Because it's only in the gospel of Christ that that can be accomplished. And I believe we'll see that here this morning. As we see that uh, that God, that Paul just keeps going back to the gospel, as we should in our lives. That, that we would keep going back to it in our lives, in our thoughts, in our prayers, in our witness, in our preaching, in our teaching. Because that is the very essence at which we live. And so as Christians, how do we preach from our past? How does that begin to look? And I think there's three things this morning we'll acknowledge, and I hope that'll help us guide through Paul's words here this morning as we make that application into our own lives and allow the text to speak directly to it. So our past can only preach when we approach our Christian life with these three things. The first thing is acknowledging where we have failed. Acknowledging where we failed. This is our place of repentance. This is where we acknowledge that there is saving and rescuing that I need, that I am falling short within myself. Because what this keeps us from doing is it keeps us from being a hypocrite when we acknowledge where we fell. The second thing is evaluating what we worship. What is the main focus of our life? What is the thing driving every step that we take? And then the last thing this morning is that we would be living for His glory. That we would be living for His glory. And so, like I said, the first thing that we're going to look at this morning is acknowledging where we failed. That we would be acknowledging where we fail. In Galatians 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Paul acknowledges what people have heard about him. In verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You know, Paul knew that it was no secret who he was, especially these people that he was writing to. They very well knew who this man was and what he had done to the very people that he claimed he cared about. Now, we know because when we were in Acts chapter 9, we learned about the things that Paul was doing. That the moment that Jesus interacted with Paul, he was on his way to continue to persecute, to show violence, to show oppression to a group of people that he thought is lesser of him. And he thought that they were missing the message. And what Jesus came is he came in that moment and he changed, uh, he changed Paul's heart and he revealed his, his true purpose in life. And I love how Paul... It's so much different than us sometimes because when we have a past, you know, and for me, I'll just be very honest, this is my hometown and there's a lot of things about my past that I'm very dissatisfied with and very disgusted by. And you know what? There's a lot of places that I go and a lot of people that I see that I can't hide from those things. But for me, and like Paul, what he shows us is, listen, don't hide from your past. Don't hide from your past, but let your past be a platform at which you elevate the gospel. Let your past be a place at which you stand for and say, yes, this was me. I'm not hiding from that. And you know what? There may even be still remnants of that person still living within me because we know as we become a Christian, that flesh still dwells within us as the spirit fights for control. And Paul will even say in 1 Corinthians 59, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. 
acknowledges his pride. Paul acknowledges where he fell short. Paul acknowledges the things that he was being driven by. That he was trying to make himself acceptable by, uh, to God by the most passionate, the most detailed, the most moral, the most ethical, the most culturally acceptable. The, that, that, that he was doing all these things and they didn't lead to God. Uh, they, what they led to was self-exaltation. They led to a religious and cultural oppression. It led him into violence. It led him into oppressing other people. It led him into bringing violence to these other people. And so he was living by this method that was this, that then he was working in this work, like we talked about, this work-based righteousness, where he believed that to get to God, it required him to do something for this God that this God needed from him. And what did that do? And we've talked about this in the past, is that it led him into violence. It led him into oppression. And man, I believe it's this, and I had this thought this week as I thought about as we navigate Church and as we navigate our Christianity, if we hold on to this very um, like religious work-based idea, that, that I have this thought that when we live by works, you end up competing with your peers, right? I mean, think about it. If you've been in any church of any denomination that has a focus on your work before your salvation, or your work to keep your salvation, or your work as being kind of this hyper-spiritual view of who you are before everyone else to be able to say, huh, I do this, I teach Sunday school, I sing the worship team, I'm better than you, I don't sin as much as you. Listen, I've actually heard pastors stand in the pulpit and say, I, I do not sin. Okay. Well, you just lied. So, And we can't be those people. We can't be those people. Listen, I, there is... So much to the office of leadership in a church. But even in the, in the places we stand as people that are looked at as examples, in the midst of our being an example, we should be living right. We should be stepping forward. We'll talk about that later on. But in part of being a great example of a Christian leader is being honest about where we fell. Being honest about the weakness of our flesh. Because what that helps other people do is show that we're human like they are. And so he tells me, you know, so it's this idea that when you live by works, you end up competing with your peers. But I believe that when we live by grace, you end up competing with yourself for the sake of your peers. That we step out every day to be the best version of ourselves for Christ in his kingdom as we can be. That I'm not competing to be better than you, or you better than me, or that if I can get to this level, this kind of spiritual hierarchy that we set up sometimes, uh, uh by, by we believe by mistake but it just kind of comes up when we live by the system that when we're living by works we end up competing with each other but when we're living by grace in our Christian life we compete with ourselves to be better for Jesus and better for our neighbors than we were yesterday that's what God's called us to do that's living and preaching from our past preaching from where we are is when we are competing with ourselves not competing with each other and so the second thing this morning is this the second thing is evaluating Evaluating what we worship. Evaluating what we worship. Picking up in verse 14. He says, And I was advancing in Judea, beyond many of my own age, among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And so he tells them, listen, I was, I was good. I was good at being good. I was good at being in front of people and people looked at me and they knew who I was and they knew that I was accomplished and I stood with the highest courts and I made the, the sturdiest decisions and I stood by and I, 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 I cast down judgment on people. Paul, he, he's being very honest here. He says that I was extremely zealous or that word zealous also meaning passionate. That I was extremely passionate. And what was he passionate for? 
Paul is honest about where his passions are, and I think it's something that we can relate to in a very religious community. Is that he was passionate about traditions. He was passionate about traditions. And so, how does that look for us? I think we need to be clear what traditions are. Traditions are the transmission of a precept or customs or beliefs from generation to generation. And so this is something that our parents or our grandparents pass down, and then they pass down, and so we continue to pass down our kids. Those are traditions. And so the thing about it is, first off, we have to acknowledge that not all traditions are bad. Not all traditions are bad. You know, there would have been a time in my Christian life when the Christian traditions that I grew up in, I would have really pressed hard against. But as I've grown up in my life, and as I've kind of learned more, I'm so appreciative of the religious experience that I had as a kid because it taught me the reverence of who God is and then what that requires of me to step forward and do what honors Him and how I treat Him. You know, because we live in a day and age when Christianity would treat God as kind of like our best bud that we just kind of hang out with. He's just that friend that I can just say, I love you, and, and He's always going to forgive me, and He's always going to let me go. But then we have to remember that the holy God we serve is also our righteous judge who harshly judges sin because sin deserves that punishment. And so we have to approach God. For me, I learned how to see that through a better lens to, to hold some of that and really revere God and see how uh, just beautiful the holiness of God was without, without taking away from His love. That's seeing the severity of His efforts against sin. And so that's a tradition that, that, that affected me. But the reality for us is, is in a religious community, we can be much more focused on traditions than kingdom interventions. And that we begin to reshape and rebrand the gospel to fit with and agree with our tradition or what we've been taught. We can take the what gospel we've been given and we can begin to reshape it as churches do. This covers all denominations. As churches do, because like we've talked about before, works are more measurable. That's why it is so easy within a Christian community to fall into a works-based same salvation, a work-based living as far as trying to keep and hold on to that salvation. It's because it's measurable, and we want things that are measurable. We want to be able to make sense of it. And within our traditions, you know, when we think about, think about traditions that have been given down to you, say, in the context of the Christian community. Think about those traditions. You know, for me in my life, in my the Christian traditions, the, the religious traditions that I was taught, if you're honest with yourselves and within us, within this context, you know, for me you, you, and for us, we can feel a sense of responsibility, right? To uphold and to hang on to or out of respect for those who have passed them down to us. And what happens is the problem is we begin worshiping traditions more than we worship what those traditions were made for. We begin to worship an idea. We begin to worship a ministry mindset. We begin to worship a way that you do church or the way that you do this or that. We begin to worship traditions or we begin to worship a style of music or we begin to worship these certain things more than the object of what those traditions were for. And this is very easy to fall into, right? We've all seen this play out in some capacity. But I also believe that there are other traditions that we can be given and passed down to us and feel this as a responsibility to hold on to. And what kind of traditions are that? I believe we can easily be passed down traditions of hatred. I believe we can easily be passed down uh, traditions of hypocrisy. 
I mean, just imagine, you have well, this carousel of carnal Christians. And we say carnal Christians, people who are Christians, who their lives don't look any different than the world. And we carnal living or carnal Christians. You see this carousel of, of family and people that you love and that you care about and that you respect. And they've lived so-called Christian life a certain way. These traditions of hypocrisy can be passed down to us. And we can feel this sense of responsibility to hold on to those traditions. Because if we don't, then it makes them look bad, right? It makes them look like they've done something wrong. If I start living my life differently than what they did, even if what they're doing is hypocrisy. And so there are these traditions that we can hold on to and we can allow to continue to come into our life. Because we're afraid we feel this responsibility or this sense of respect. These the ceremonial expectations or, or religious ordinances or sacraments, you know, depending on what kind of denomination you come from. You can feel this sense of holding on to certain traditions, even if they're not biblical, even if they're not gospel. You know, our traditions, if we're not careful, can get in the way of gospel intervention. Our traditions can be a scale on our eyes, blinding us from the truth of the gospel of grace. And our traditions, and I believe this is the main one, our traditions can be a prison where we are shackled by complacency and fear. And I think this goes back to Galatians 1, uh, 110 when he says, Am I seeking the approval of man or of God? That our traditions can be such a place of complacency where we're comfortable because this doesn't challenge me, this doesn't make me feel uncomfortable, because this is what my parents have taught me, their, their parents taught them, and so they taught me this, and so I just believe this is how Christians should live, or this is what you do in church, or this is how I should raise my kids. And we can become so disconnected from the true gospel of Christ, the true way that God has called us to live and to move and to have our being in Him because of this place of complacency. And not only complacency, but fear, because we're afraid of how it will affect them. We're afraid of how it will make them look. You know, and then I'm reminded, you know, in, uh, of, of Matthew chapter 10. Man, just such an awesome verse. Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 34 through uh, through 39. A very challenging text. But for me, I, I, and this is a verse that I found very early and really challenged me in my uh, own struggle to release some traditions that I was holding on to. Matthew chapter 10, uh, verse 34, because I had actually someone uh, before say this to me, well, well, surely God doesn't want there to be tension between you and someone that you're close to. Sure, God doesn't want uh, what you're trying to do to cause any problems within say, your family or, or a close uh, friend circle or whatever it may be. Surely God doesn't want that. But, but Jesus is very clear here in Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. He says this. He says, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. He said, I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not like, uh, does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He says, whoever finds life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I mean, how challenging is that? Where he says, listen, if you're grasping for some type of earthly comfort in life, by way of the gospel, of it, it, then, then you're going to lose your life. You're going to lose living in the grace that God has for you because you'll be distracted by tradition. You'll be distracted by this expectation that someone has placed on you and said, look, this is how you live as a Christian. Whether that's hatred, whether that's hypocrisy, whether that's it's unbiblical, whatever it might be. 
we can become in this place where we believe, man, God wants us to be at peace with everyone. God wants there to be one religion where we all kind of just believe in this kind of crock pot of, of, of things. And then that's not the case. That's not the case. He says, listen, it is going to cause issues not only with people around you, but even people within your household. And listen, I know that's not easy. And I can say that because I'm living in my own life. That is not easy. But when we're in pursuit of the true gospel, it may not bring peace. It may not bring peace. There may be tension. There may be disagreement. There may be things that don't make sense. God tells us it's in that that we find life. And so when Jesus says that, he's brought a sword. He's brought this sword to cut us away from holding on to traditions, holding on to this worldly life that we believe that we need. When he's telling us he has something better. Because when he tears us away from our traditions that are getting in the way of gospel saturation in our lives, then we can begin to truly live separate from the burdens, separate from the expectations, but to live in the approval and the love of a holy God. That's what we want. That's where we want to live, and that's where we need to be. And the last thing this morning is this, that we would be living for His glory. That we would be living for His glory, not my own. That to preach from my past, I have to be, I need to be in a place where I'm living for His glory. Picking up in verse 15, I love how Paul changes it. He says, but... When he who had set me apart before I was born, and who had called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. He says, but he who set me apart before I was born. What a beautiful picture of the sovereign grace of God. That Paul can know, and that as Christians, if you're a believer here this morning, you can know that if you were in the grace of Jesus that it's not only it's not anything, you know, there's something we have to understand that when we become a believer, we don't surprise God. Like, oh, thankfully they chose me. Listen, if we choose God, it's because He first chose us. If we choose God, it's because He's known us and He's made us and He's shaped us from the beginning of our lives to be where we are today. And that's a beautiful, beautiful story of Security, right? To know that if I've put my faith in Christ, that it's because God has held, He's had me since the beginning, and that there's no moment in my life that's ever been wasted. And that's the, that's that's what Paul is resting in, that he's resting in this grace that God has been shaping and preparing him his whole life. He says that he has set me apart, or maybe your Bible says separated. You know, this word or this phrase uh, is, is taken from a Hebrew word for the word Pharisee. And so what the Pharisees did is they took this word and they said, we're separated, we're separatists, we're set apart. And what they were saying is that we're set apart because we do better than you. We're elevated above you. We do. Uh, we, we know things that you don't know, so you have to come to us for it. So this separation that the Pharisees and the religious leaders lived in, it was this separation of elevation for themselves, where when Paul says that God has set me apart, that he has separated me, he hasn't separated me from people to elevate me. He's separated me to serve. He's separated me from this, this world of works, this world of hate, this world of hurt, this world world of hunger, this world of death. He separated me from the power of sin to give me back to the people so that I could share the gospel with them, so that we would be living for His glory and not living for ourselves. And He says, before I was born, what a better picture of grace. 
Because I don't know about you, but I wasn't doing much for God when I was a baby. I wasn't doing much for God when I was in the womb. But he says, before I was born, before I was born, he called me. He called me by his voice. God stepped in. God stepped into Paul's story, overruling all his intentions and using his experience, even his failures, to prepare him. To break him, to equip him, to mold him. That's what God does in our lives. The way that we begin preaching from our past is when we are living in the grace of God and living for his glory. Because what God does is he takes Jake's screwed up past. And he says, you know what? Despite who this person was, this is where we're going. And that even though all of this is imperfect, because it absolutely is, I promise you it's imperfect. As much as all of this is imperfect, it's moving towards this completion that only I can do in him. But through all this time, despite his weaknesses, despite his failure, despite where he messes up, despite where he's not good enough, despite where he's uneducated in, despite what he can't accomplish on his own, I am going to use him. And God does the same thing with each and every one of us when we begin to live for his glory and the grace of God. For God's good, for his glory, and not for my own. Because the moment we start pointing to ourselves, people quickly figure out, Brother, you don't have it all together. But when I take my life and I point to a holy God who is perfect, who chose me, who has equipped me, who has provided for me, listen, I don't have to stand up the pretense that I have it all together because my God has it all together. And that's all that matters. Because I don't. I fail. I fall short. And that's where Paul, he, began, he just celebrates in that. He said, before I was born, before I lived in my mother's womb, he called me. Before I had done anything for him, I had not called to him. I had not provided for him. He called me. You know, I love in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7 through 8. You know, anytime we reference the Old Testament, we talk about the children of Israel. Even though some of those things aren't specifically meant for us, it's something that we can learn because in the Old Testament, Israel was God's chosen people. In the New Testament, we are, uh, uh, we are embraced into that fall. We are kind of grafted into that tree of God's family as Gentiles. But in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 7 to 8, when he's talking about the children of Israel, he says, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery and from the hand of Pharaoh, King of Egypt. He's reminding them, listen. God didn't choose you because you had the best army. God didn't choose you because you had the most people. God didn't even choose you because you obeyed the best, because you didn't. You failed constantly. I mean, God leads them through Moses out of Egypt, and shortly after this massive miracle, they begin complaining about not having food or not having water. We're better off back in slavery. You know, we would think to ourselves, there's no way I would ever live and act like that, but the reality is we live and act like that every day. As much as God has given us, as much as God has provided for us, we still complain and grasp for momentary satisfactions and sin and interior things. When God has said, I'm with you, I'm for you, I love you, I'm providing for you. And he says, you know, they called me by his grace. 1 Timothy 1.14, Paul says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 1.16, he not only says that he called me, but he says he was pleased to reveal his son to me. That it pleases God to do good for, for people. It pleases 
is God that people are saved. You know, a lot of times uh, God is viewed as this angry old man in the sky that just sits down and casts judgment, and just casts hurt, and just casts pain. You know, deists would believe uh, kind of in the, the, the clockmaker that God wound the clock and that he just let us go and he's not involved in our lives at all. That he doesn't care about us. He just kind of got us going and said good luck. Listen, it pleases God to reveal grace to us. It pleases God to have revealed His Son Jesus to us. It pleases God when we come to believe in the saving faith of Jesus on the cross. And further, Peter says this in 2 Peter 3 9. He said, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but wishing that, that not wishing that any should perish, but that should all reach repentance. Listen. God gets no joy out of the loss resting in eternal damage or eternal separation from Him. But God is pleased to reveal Himself and His Son and the saving work of Jesus on the cross through grace by faith. He is pleased to reveal that to us. And he's pleased to reveal that to us for this reason. And Paul says this in Galatians chapter 116. He says, he's done all this in order that I might preach. Because the truth of the matter is, church, if a Christian doesn't live different, our past still covers our present. I mean, just be very honest with ourselves. You know, even it's not about our works. Our works do not keep us in salvation. Our works do not earn us salvation. But if we are called as believers, like Paul is, to step into a dark world around us and to preach the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if our life don't doesn't look any different than it did 10 years ago, then what good are we doing? Because when the world sees us, all they see is that person. And so then our past begins to cover our present. Our past begins to be a shade over our present, a curtain over our present. So that if God has done any work within us, no one is benefiting from it because no one is seeing the difference that it's made. That as a Christian, that we should be living different. That living differently, choosing to live differently, choosing to walk differently, choosing to be set apart from the anti-satisfactions of the world, but living to serve God and our neighbors through the saving grace that He's given us. It's through living differently that we preach from our past. You know, and other translations say Galatians 1.16 like this. When he says, uh, he says, in order that I might preach him, I'm sorry, but when he who was set apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased, in verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me. So sometimes you see something called a textual variance where uh, because we have more access to more manuscripts now than they did before, that some versions of the Bible will kind of put a footnote and say it can also be said like this. And I love the ESV because it's very honest about the, the fact that there are differences sometimes in different translations and what words they choose to use. Well, in this particular verse, uh, another translation they would say to reveal his son in me. To reveal his son in me. Which I think is such an awesome way to say that too. Because I believe what it says to Paul and what it says to us is that God revealed Christ to Paul so that he could reveal Christ through Paul. And so we can put ourselves in that same place. That God has revealed himself to us so that he can reveal Christ through us. That God has a purpose in the midst of our salvation to be doing something. To be walking in step with his kingdom purposes and his gospel interventions. To see that 
and lived out in our lives. Because as a Christian, what we have is more than an intellectual belief in Christ. We see a personal relationship, and not only a personal relationship with Christ, we should have a sense of responsibility to reveal Christ to others. That we should feel this weight. We should feel this weight to be living for His Lord. To be revealing Christ in us, through us, to the people around us, so that they will see the representative, the ambassador for Christ, revealing Christ for who He is and what He's done. Not through our perfection, but through God's perfection, through His work for us. And Paul continues to say this on and on in 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, he says, on the contrary, because of God's grace, he says, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Romans 1, 5, he says, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. He says he has saved us to work. You know, when people tell me, I've heard people say, well, you can't preach too much on grace because then people will think it's just an excuse to sin. But I believe that if we can pre preach grace well enough, that it will cause people to want to work better than they ever did with a list of rules, with a list of do's and don'ts. And if we can truly understand the grace of God, then we will live because we love him. Because we want His approval. Because we want to see this kingdom flourish. Because we want to see other people experience the love of that great God. Jeremiah 45, 5. He says, And do you seek great things for yourself? He says, Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon flesh, declares the Lord. But, He says, I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. God has given us life to war. And what are we warring for? We're warring for the lives of others. We're worried for the glory of God. We're worried that the grace of God would be known above all things in the life of people and believers and that they would know Jesus Christ and what He has and what He has for them. And so to wrap everything up this morning, church, I know it's hot, but thank you so much for being so diligent and so just tuned in to what God has for us this morning. The reason this is important for us is that we have to know that the freedom of grace, freedom of grace should release us, not conceal us. The freedom of God's grace should release us to work more efficiently and work harder than we ever had before for the kingdom of God, not conceal us. And so what do we mean concealed behind? Well, we talked about that we not be concealed or hiding behind traditions, or that we not be concealed or hiding or held back by our past, that we would be living and walking in the truth of the gospel, what he has for us, acknowledging our past. Like Paul is, he said, look, this is who I am and this is what I've done. I love that Paul is always the first one to call out his own failures. And don't be afraid of where you fall. Don't be afraid of where you, where you fail. But through all this, what we've seen is that Paul, before he was a Christian, he emphasizes what he had done. He says that I, I persecuted, that I advanced, that I was more exceedingly jealous than those of my own age and those in my area. Once Paul became a Christian, the emphasis was not on what he had done, but what on God had done. He said, God, who had set me apart, God who had called me, God who revealed his son to me. All this was done for a purpose, and we see that in verses 23 and 24 in the end of this. He says, they only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of it. You know, a lot of times in our own mind, when we even contemplate stepping out for God, we believe, 
just like this. We're gonna, we believe, we convince ourselves in our minds that all they're going to hear is who I was. All they're going to see is who I was. All they're going to know is the things that I've done at this point in my life or what I've been doing. But what does Paul say? He says, they glorify God because of me. They glorify God because of what I have done. That's not glorifying sin, but it's taking my sin. It's taking the failures that I had. And it's making them a platform in which I stand on top of and stand over. And I point to God and I say, these things under my feet don't control me anymore. These things under my feet don't identify me anymore. These things are the very things elevating me to be able to more accurately point you to the gospel. Because God came to me. For Paul, God came to me as I was walking to cause destruction. As I was walking to cause harm, as I was walking to show hatred towards a group of people, God came to me as my intentions were set on that. God came to me, revealed himself to me, called me by his grace to a greater purpose, and redirected me to something different. And what's awesome is in these sections that we didn't read, it talks about where all Paul went. And you know where Paul went? Not only did he go back to Damascus, the place that he was going to persecute Christians at, he went back to there shortly after he became a Christian. Not only did he go there, he went back to his hometown. He went back to his home area, and he began to preach the gospel. Can you imagine the way that the people in his own community looked at him? You used to scream louder than anyone against those people. Now you're standing with them. Can you imagine the ridicule Paul experienced? Can you imagine the hurt? Can you imagine the persecution that he experienced? In the midst of all that, he stands on the, on the, on the prefaces. He stands on the glory of God and says, because of my past, not glorifying it, but in spite of it, God be glorified through my life. Because I've acknowledged where I've fallen short. Because I've acknowledged that I was worshiping the wrong things. Because I've chosen every day of my life to begin living for His glory. That you know what? I may fall and the Proverbs tells us the righteous fall seven times, but they get back up. That I may fall, but I'll get back up. I may fall, but I'll get back up. And that I will be moving full steam ahead towards the glory of God through my life by His grace. Church, I pray that we would let our lives be monuments of His making. That I pray that we would let our lives be workmanship of His hands. So that when people see us, when they see our lives, when they see our work, when they see our fruit, God will be glorified. Despite our past choices and our rebellious actions, that God will be glorified. When we follow Christ, church, our past becomes a product of God's molding and making and not our identity. Becomes a product of God's molding and making, not our identity. Because when a sinner trusts in Christ, he is born again in John 3, 1 through 18. He is born free. He is not, he has been redeemed or purchased by Christ and set free. He is no longer, he or she is no longer in bondage to sin or Satan, nor should he be in bondage to human religious systems in Galatians 4, 1 through 11 or 5, 1. And that, if the Son therefore shall make you free, then you're free indeed. Church, we're free to live. We're free to bring glory to God because of the grace that God has given us. Through acknowledging where we fall. Through refuting to worship anything lesser than our holy God. To choose baby to live for his glory. Church, God is good. 
despite your past, he has a place, he has a platform for us to stand on. And you know what will crush under our feet is the past sins that so easily entangle us. The past sins that have held us back. The past sins that defined us for so much of our lives are the very sins in which we'll stand on and proclaim the grace of God. I pray that we can be a people stepping in God every day of our lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness, God. I thank you for the grace that you've so freely given to us. God, I pray that in the midst of our failures, God, in the midst of our past, God, that you would show us that you had a platform to empower us, to stand on, to proclaim the gospel of grace to the world and the people around us, God. Lord, we know that in the midst of our weakness and our failures, God, that we can be so easily drawn back into fear. We can be drawn back into complacency, holding on to empty traditions, God. Holding on to lesser things. But Lord, I pray that every day we live, we live holding on to the gospel of grace. The gospel of Jesus. God, that not a single one of us has a past that is worth anything here today. God, I'm so thankful that in the midst of my past, God, you still called me. Like you did, Paul. You revealed your son to me. God, you equipped us to be a people preaching and teaching and sharing same message of grace and gospel God, I pray that none of us would be held back our past. Lord, I pray that we would be preaching from our past. Father, God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.